I think I'm probably protecting my health. I am protecting the dignity of others. I think I'm protecting my family. I think I'm protecting my own comfort. Uh, probably normalcy. Protecting normalcy. Family values. Faith. My soul. The faith. I'm protecting my family. Well, what are you protecting? It's a question that we're going to ask here for the entire month of October. And I think it's an important question. I first heard this question back in a seminary, back in the 90s. I was sitting in Old Testament class and um, in Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. And Dr. Bush asked, uh, told us in the class, he said, now, Whenever you run into trouble reading the Old Testament, you should always ask the question, what are the, what's being protected? When you run into things that don't make sense in the Old Testament, you'll want to ask the question, what's being protected? And you'll find the key to how to understand many of the difficult parts of the Old Testament when things don't make sense. So, for instance, like when a prophet of God says the, God's going to slaughter all the Midianites or whatever or something like that, it sounds horrific. Ask what's being protected, and oftentimes you're going to find it's the glory of God, it's the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, or something like that. Oftentimes, it's like with the Esther story, it's something different. What's being protected? The people of God. They will continue even though they're in exile. So I wrote that question, what's being protected, in the front of my Bible. Actually, Dr. Bush suggested that all of us write in the front of our Bible, all of us seminarians, and so we did. <clears throat> At least I did. What's being protected? That question changed the way I began to look at the Bible and even broadened it out to begin to, how do I look at life? What's being protected in my life? What am I protecting? What are you protecting? Find out what someone's protecting, you're going to find out what's precious to them. You're going to find out what's important. Ask the Bible this question, and the Bible becomes more clear. For that matter, you could ask it these days of politics, (laughs) social media. So let's ask the question the whole of October because we're heading towards an election and we have politics and we're trying to navigate through a pandemic as well as uh, race issues and the white problem and so forth. So all of us should be asking the question, what are you protecting? And we should ask this question of all categories of life when it's appropriate, work and family and church, citizenship, spirituality, compassion, right on down the line. What's being protected becomes very useful for us around here at Lakeland. And to do this month, we're going to do four different maps. Um, And so that's what we have up here. And the one we're going to talk about today is this one here. And it's the story of Abram, or who becomes Abraham. And this is the story of back in Genesis. And that's why you're going to want your Bible. We'll put a couple of verses up on the screen, but you're going to want it. So maps, I don't know about you. I love maps. I'm more of a visual learner. Um, just, you know, there's, what do they say? There's like seven different learning styles. I love visual. As a kid, I'd go on vacation and, you know, I'd just sit in the back seat because we didn't have anything to thumb on. And I would just stare at the maps. I love the road atlas. I still love road atlases. I still topo maps, whatever you got. I'm, I'm all into maps. And so like as a kid growing up, I don't know what your church experience was. A lot of us around here at Lakeland didn't go to church, but I grew up in the Southern Baptist church and, um, the kids were in church as opposed to sending them out. And so 
How do I put it? It got really boring. That's how I put it. And so I, after I scribbled on the front of the program forever and ever and ever, I finally then you'd flip to the maps, right? And you look at those maps. I don't know how many years of my life I spent looking at those maps, and I thought the maps were cool. You begin to imagine these people on these journeys, and what's the desert like? Oh, there's the River Jordan, you know. Is it deep? Is it wide, you know, and all those sort of things. And you begin to ask all these kind of questions. And so I thought maybe for some of us here today, maps might be a better way to handle things. So we're going to jump into maps. So, um, and if you had, if you have your physical Bible, you know, at home or whatever, then you may want to look at the maps in the back and find one that looks kind of like the one we're going to look at, which is this very first one, the ancient Near East before the Exodus. Okay, so uh, that tells you something, by the way. It's framed the Near East before the Exodus. It's a time when it's not even really named. (laughs) It's before that time that we do name. Okay, becomes interesting. So go to Genesis chapter 12 on your phone or your iPad or your computer or whatever you got or your actual real Bible. All right. And we're going to look at the time of Abram or Abraham and his original name's Abram before God changed his name. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Very important. The book of Genesis changes the entire direction in chapter 12. 50 chapters, but at chapter 12, it begins to have a different look, and it begins to sound a lot like the rest of the Bible. Before that, it sounds a little different. But let's just get to Genesis 12, the first three verses. Now, the Lord said to Abram, is like one of the first references to Abram. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that's a pretty big statement, yes. Abram, which means father is exiled. Father is exiled. It has a verb in it. It's not exalted father. It actually means father is exalted. Father, did I say exiled? Yeah, that's wrong. That's not what it means at all. Father is exalted. I don't know where I came up with exile. I'm thinking about third map. So the father is exalted. Okay, that's what it means. Abram means father is exalted. And so he's going to travel. I have a laser pointer. Did I promise not to show in your eye? He's going to travel, everyone, from here, over here in Ur, And if you can see this, this is the river Euphrates, the Euphrates River. Here's the Tigris River. And, you know, there's Babylon, which is still there. And here's Ur. And then you see this red line. And this is going to be Abram's journey. They're going to go up here at the top at Haran, or Haran, however you want to say it, and come down to Canaan. And eventually they end up over in Egypt. But right now, this is the place where he's going to leave. And he's being told to go where God will show him. Okay? That's where they're going to go. Follow that Euphrates River, which is always smart because then you have water and you have food, and that's also the trade route. Abram, of course, is not just by himself. His entire family, the whole clan is going, okay? His father, Terah, and his two brothers, Nahor and Haran. It's a bit of an accident, but Haran is also his brother's name as well as the name of a city or a town, okay? So don't get too confused about it. They all travel with Abram. They take their wives, they take their herds, they take everything they own. They are leaving Ur for good. And they're going to go to a place that God has not really told them where they're going to arrive at. But it's a promised place. And they're going to wander. And they're going to mosey there, okay? 
And yes, they follow this trade route, and so they can be sustainable and so forth and, and, and live. And of course, and this is all happening between around 2000 BC, or actually between 1000 and 2000 BC. Scholars have different datings for this sort of thing. Now, at that time, either there were great movements of clans and people. Remember, nations haven't been created. Nations are actually just a couple hundred years old. Everybody kind of gets that, right? I mean, there was kingdoms and so forth and kings and rulers and clans, but really nation states are a brand new thing. So there's no nations back then. So clans were moving all over. So either it was the beginning of a lot of bigger migrations around, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago, or it's at least the beginning of writing down about great movements. <laughs> you get the difference? Like, at least it's getting recorded, and then maybe that's, you know what I mean? What gets written, we all begin to understand. So if you can kind of track with that a little bit. So we stop here for a moment, and then we ask this question right here as we leave Ur with Abram. What is being protected? Well, Protection implies that there's something wrong, right? There's something to defend. What are we protecting? Or, you know, bring up the walls, bring up the gate or whatever. What, is there a conflict? There's no conflict. There's nothing being protected. There's none of that. Not a typical situation where you say what's being protected. No battle. Actually, we don't know why God asked Abram to leave Ur and travel to Haran. For that matter, we don't even know why Abram. Why him? Why did he get dubbed why did he get picked? We do know this. We know what the end goal is. He's on this journey, and he's going to become a father of great nations. The father of nations. He's going to end up, then, in Canaan. That's where he's going to go. That's going to be the promised land. We're not really sure that he understands where he's going. So, what's being protected? This promise that all nations will be blessed through Abram, right? Why bless him alone? Now, I know if you are a seasoned Christian and you got all the stickers and the merit badges, okay, you know that the long-term answer on this, you're going to say, well, I'll tell you why Abram gets picked and why they're on this journey. It's because of a little word we all throw around church called covenant. And covenant means there's a promise. And that covenant is for a covenant people. And they're the Hebrews and they're the Jews. And guess what comes out of that people? Jesus. So we get to the Jesus answer. Now, I'm just going to pull back here on you for a little bit, okay? So don't get too anxious about throwing out Jesus. Because you remember the old Chuck Swindoll anecdote, right? You remember this little story? Chuck Swindoll, old pastor. And he said this. He said there was a, there was a Sunday school class and there was a... a the, uh, the teacher said to the Sunday school class, he said, now what's small and gray and sits in trees and has a big bushy tail and eats nuts? And then he looked at the little boy and the little boy said, well, I, I want to say squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus, right? Because you're in Sunday school and that's what you're supposed to answer. So don't get too quick on the whole Jesus thing because we, we don't see any whiff of Jesus here coming. That's a reading back onto the scripture. Let's just go with what we got here. Let's be good students. What's being protected in Genesis chapter 12 at that moment? God. God is being protected. The entire idea of God is being introduced in Genesis. Unfortunately, it's not laid out like a class outline where it tells you point one subtopics, A, B, C, D, this is God. It just kind of falls into a story. 
Moreover than that, this one sort of seems to bump along, and scholars will tell us that there are multiple authors writing this sort of thing anyway. So, you know, it starts off with the creation story, and then you got Cain and Abel, and there's a whole thing getting introduced there. That's for another Sunday. And then, you know, you have the, the big flood, Noah and the ark and all of that, and then follows uh, the Tower of Babel. All of them have certain things. What's consistent throughout all of that is that there is a God present. What you are not told yet <clears throat> in that culture and at that time the idea of a single almighty, God almighty, in Hebrew, El Shaddai, the God almighty is a brand new idea. Before that, there were different gods for all sorts of things. A different one. All sorts of different gods. But here, with the flood and, and the Tower of Babel and then come this period of the patriarchs, and Abraham or Abram is the first one. Patriarchs. I'm not talking the patriots that got postponed. I'm talking the patriarchs. Okay? Patre. You hear that word patre? It means father, right? In Latin, Spanish, Italian, whatever, you know, all the Latin languages. Patriarchs. The fathers. When you want to understand your story, you tell the story of the founders. And that's what the book of Genesis is doing here. That's what the journey is all about. Let's tell the story. Let's start with Abraham. We do it as Americans. When we're in search of our identity, hint, hint, we're in search of our identity these days. Uh, what do we do? We go back and we begin to tell the story. Well, there was George Washington and John Adams. He's my favorite. And then James Madison. His wife created a little hostess thing. Or I don't know what she did, but she's famous. And, you know, and then there's Alexander Hamilton, sir. So when you want to know where you're heading and who you are and what's going on in your identity, you tell the story of the founders. But I propose what's being protected is that God is real. And that's a loaded word, real. God is real. What do we mean? This means God talks. Humans talk back to God. I have a book by a, a, a famous um, Harvard um, sociologist, Tanya uh, Lerman. And Tanya Lerman wrote a book called God Talks Back. And she went and studied Christians like us. And she was absolutely flabbergasted that when they're reading a history book, something historical in the Bible, and then they'd say, let's have group discussion. And people say like, yeah, I had a time in my life when I was like on a journey and God was with me. And now she's a sociologist. She's freaking out. She's saying like, these people just took history and they just threw themselves right into the story. And we Christians are like, yeah, that's what God do. We're all in a story. We're on a journey. We're the red line. That's your life. We're doing that. Why? Because God is real. What's being protected here is God. God is relational. God makes covenants. He makes promises. He says, I'll never destroy the world again with a huge flood. I sign it with a rainbow. I'll make you a great nation, Abram. The God of the Bible is personal. The God of the Bible is relational. You can talk to God. You can talk back to God. The God of the Bible is real. Now, this is a far cry from what you don't see necessarily in Genesis. <clears throat> and that is the surrounding cultures had gods. You can think of Egypt, for instance, and the pyramids and all that sort of thing. A little later, but 
You, you can see then that they had multiple gods, little carved images, votas, figures. And these gods were always fairly capricious, pretty mean-spirited. You had to appease them all the time. And there were multiple gods. And sometimes they were competing. You had a sun god. You had a rain god. You had an earth god. You had a fertility god. And you had to work to get all these gods working in your favor. It was a constant problem. There was not this idea of one god, the god of Abram, the god of the Hebrews, God of Jesus. Earthly pagan gods were the, were, the, were the gods of the day. But the God of the Bible, this is Abram's God. And brothers, sisters, and friends, you and I can talk to this very same God. And that's what's astounding about the Bible and what it's trying to convey. This God whom Abram spoke and complained and argued and pleaded and cajoled and praised and sometimes built even little altars and stacks and rocks. That's our God. One God. The real God. Now, this personal real God, this whole thing here, is exactly what's happening over and over and over in the Old Testament. If you're looking for what's being protected, it will be oftentimes the solidarity, the uniqueness, the the monolithic idea that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. One God. That's what's being protected. Not this sort of cheap, fickle, mean-spirited nature God type thing going on. So how can Abram then become the father of a great nation when his wife, Sarai, because she has not been changed, her name, her name has not been changed to Sarah yet. What do you do when your wife cannot conceive? How are you going to become, oh, father of many nations in this sort of thing? How are you going to be, how's this God promise in Genesis chapter 12 going to get fulfilled when you can't even have one, <laughs> one kid? How's that going to happen? Well, Sarai, she feels terrible. She knows the promise. She's a part of it. And, you know, she thinks it's her fault. That's another day. And she just finally says, well, look, I will give you my, my maidservant, Hagar, and you can conceive a child with her. You, you kind of see what they're doing there. They're like, okay, there's supposed to be a promise. I'll just take matters into my own hand. Abram and Sarai are just going to take things into their own hands, and they'll make this promise happen on their own. There's a spiritual lesson right there. Yes, there is, but not for right now. So, guess what? Abram conceives with his, her, with his wife's servant, Hagar, and he do and she do, and Hagar gives birth to a son, Ishmael. Okay? Ishmael. Now, Sarai then, at that point, really being a nice, normal human being, suddenly feels very angry about the whole situation. This is not what she had planned because now she is even less of a person, right? And she's being disrespected, so to speak, in her mind or whatever. And she feels and she takes it out on Hagar. Oh, my gosh. Chapter 17. Flip on over to chapter 17. If you're reading in your Bible, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old. Okay, stop for a second. You're saying 99 years old. This guy is really old. Okay, scholars will take you all over the place, and they will, in general, they all agree that 
the Hebrew people, the writers of the Bible in the Old Testament, did not really have this idea of numbers. And you're like, what? Like, yeah, they didn't have numbers the way we think of numbers, right? It's kind of like, you know that weird moment when you figured out that the Romans didn't have a zero? It took the Arabs to, to tell you there's a zero. Or you're like, what? Yeah, you know, Roman numerals, there's no zero. Romans didn't have it in their head the idea of zero. Well, the Hebrews didn't have the idea of numbers. They had a different way of thinking about numbers. So scholars say when they wanted to make, it, make something sound important, they just multiply the quantity of the thing. It's a very ancient Middle Eastern thing to do. They're not lying. They're just amplifying. Okay? So think about it when you read outrageous numbers and so forth. Other scholars, by the way, will say like, no, it is what it is. He really was 99 years old. So just pick whatever scholar you feel like you want to listen to or just read the text and say, like, yeah, that's what it says. I don't, I don't care. I'm moving on. There is a God. Okay. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous, even though you don't have one. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of multiple nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan. For perpetual holding, and I will be their God. So, map, please. Got a map back there? Yep. So, here we are. We left Ur. We went all the way up here following the trade route, and then we came down here following the trade route, and we ended up, we ended up here in Canaan. Okay? There's even Jerusalem right there, modern-day Israel. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Jordan River, or the River Jordan as they call it. Here is the Dead Sea and so forth. And by the way, I think we all learned this somewhere back in, you know, middle school. But the Great Rift runs through here, and that's why it's a tumultuous place. Yes, literally tumultuous. So that's where they're going to be, and the land of Canaan is right here. This is where it's promised. Now, if the Middle East has problems <laughs> and conflicts, it's right here. This is where it's all starting, right at this point. Okay, that's what's happening. So, uh, Abram then goes from being called the father is exalted, not exiled, the father is exalted to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Father of many nations. Hagar's son, Ishmael, will also become the father of many nations. They're not a part of, not a part of the covenant. And by the way, just on a sidelight then, Muslim, Muslims believe they are the ancestors of Ishmael. So, Jews and Muslims have the same father in Abraham. Okay? But it splits after that, and don't we know it? That's a different Sunday. Sarai gets her names changed as well. Her name is now Sarah, or Sarah. And she finally bears a son, despite trying to take things into their own hands. But not after laughing at God's suggestion that Abram 
and her could have a kid because they are too old. And so she snickers and laughs at God. And, and then she even makes it worse. God says, you laughed at me. And she says, no, I didn't. Like, you don't say that kind of stuff to God. <laughs> He's omniscient. Okay, so um, nonetheless, she denies it. And so then God says, well, in chapter 17, verse 19, she says, well, then, uh, Sarah, Sarah, you're going to name the child Isaac because Isaac means son of laughter. And God gets his little like, hey, see what I did there? So what do we have here? We have a God who makes and keeps covenants with men and women just like us. If you find messy people in the Bible, it's because it's the, we are the same people. We too are doubters. We too take matters into our own hands. We too guffaw and laugh at God. What's being protected, though? God. The God. That God. The God who can change your name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. Fifteen centuries later, from Simon, the common fisherman, to Peter, the rock of the church. God is in the business of changing names and giving people new identities. And brothers and sisters, all of this is for us as well. We are on this journey as well. You have a red line, and you're following it. This is your story as well. Abraham gave us a people, Christ followers. And so we have to understand this. We are a people of a journey. We are a people with a a long thousands of years history. We have been grafted in, according to Paul in the New Testament, We are those same people. And I will say this. Christians, your country is not America. You are just visiting. Your country is the body of Christ. That is who you belong to. Always keep that as the priority. Your village, your clan is the church. Those are your people. That's your first allegiance. Remember, brothers and sisters, you are never lost as long as you remember what story you're in. You may have other stories in your life, but this is the primary one. So listen to your life, map out your journey, mark the milestones, see where you've been, and trust God that God is God. Besides, what else are you going to do in life? Are you going to quit? Are you going to quit this journey that you're on? Are you going to say, no, no, I'm just going to stick it out here in Mari. I'm going back to Ur. I give up. Are you going to do that in life? Are you going to see where it all ends up? Are you going to doubt or is God God? Where will this thing take you? Oh, well, eventually, by the way, you end up over here in Egypt. Everybody ends up in Egypt in the Bible. Why do you end up in Egypt? Because things went wrong. There was a famine, a pandemic, this little world. And people end up in Egypt. How's it turn out? Mixed. Slavery. Redemption. Just like your life. Just like my life. A long red journey. A long red line. And it all belongs because God is God. And God's protecting you and God's protecting me. And it all fits into one big story. And it's right there in the Bible. That's the story we're on. So don't quit. You can't quit. Don't quit. It's not time for quitting.
You don't quit. Sarah, she didn't quit. Abraham, he didn't quit. Next week, we'll talk about Moses. He quit a few times, but he stuck with it eventually. You take the journey. Be the people. Protect God. Protect your God. Protect our God. The God. So, let me ask you the question. What are you protecting? Now, it's a difficult question to ask because you have the wrong context. So just do this. Just do this little gimmick here with us. Just close your eyes and kind of drop your head, and I'm just going to give you some silence and answer the question in your mind, what am I protecting? What am I protecting? What am I protecting? It's a good ride-home conversation, you know, to ask each other. You know, questions like this, families have to be coy. So, what do you answer? Be worth the price of admission today. Hmm? Amen.